Now, as I told you, test time is coming up very soon. So uh, this isn't repeating what I said. This is a review. You, see. you remember reviews, don't you? So what have we talked about so far about happiness? Because we've been talking about <laughs> what, uh, what makes a happy person. Uh, John asked me which order I wanted those songs in. <laughs> we should have done the other way around. So it's about happiness this morning. <laughs> so so far, uh, although we have changed the numbers around, we have talked about three states of mind, or let's say three characteristics that our mind has three qualities that your mind naturally possesses, three of its natural states. The first one we talked about was the mind's capacity, its natural inclination, to be invulnerable, to not get caught up in what is believed to be not mine. So that is a natural talent that we have to skate over all these problems, to roll gently down the stream. And yet, we can take our mind and we can get caught up in all the things that happen. The, the things that happen to our cereal, because we get a phone call and it becomes soggy. Uh, we've just laid gravel um, in our driveway, I've told you about that. This is to make the house look more expensive so we can get more money for it. Because uh, we've lived out there 10 years without gravel on our in the, on the road that leads to our house driveway. Uh, and for some reason, all the dogs in the neighborhood have changed into cats and the gravel has become a sandbox. <laughs> uh, so... I mean, what, what else do you expect? I was, uh, I took a little trip to uh, Tucson. I got back last night. There was a little period in which I was optimistic about when I was going to finish these two books I've told you about. It was a period of about two weeks. And during that time, uh, Gail and I accepted several speaking engagements. And then I realized I wasn't going to get the books finished. Tried to get out of them as many of them as I could, but there were two I couldn't get out of. And this was one of them. And it's a good thing, of course, that I didn't. It always turns out that way. If we allow it to, nothing has to continue being a mistake, no matter how it started. It's never necessary to endure something and tell yourself, this is a mistake and I can't begin until it's all over. And this was a actually a very nice uh, day. I gave a couple of workshops. But of course, on the way there, uh, in the non-smoking section, next to me there was a man who lit up. And I, I haven't been around uh, smokers for so long that I wasn't used to it. I, that It didn't bother me at one time. I saw that it was bothering me, and I saw that I had a choice. I could get caught up in this. I could ask the man to stop. I could get the, uh, what are they called now? 
flight flight attendants. <laughs> I could get the flight attendant uh, to attend to it. Uh, <laughs> Or I could forget about it. Now, what I would have done ordinarily would have been to, in the old days, what I would have just stood there. I would have just sat there and been conflicted the whole time. Now I knew that that was not necessary. So I closed my eyes and asked myself, what did I want to do about this? And I saw I did not want to ask the man to stop smoking. I did not want to get the flight attendant. And that I was going to simply forget about it as best I could. I didn't have to forget about it perfectly, but I was just going to forget about it as best I could. And it is interesting that how when the mind focuses, it has amazing strength. And I simply turned my attention with that decision to something else. And I virtually forgot about the, the man smoking. And that would not have happened in the old days. These little things uh, indicate the progress that we make. We think we're making no progress, but of course we are making some. Um, I wish this had a story had a more exciting ending. <laughs> he just smoked a cigarette. <laughs> so, uh, so the another way of saying this is that you don't get your heart caught up in it. Uh, your heart. You remember, you know the expression. Your my heart's not in it. Uh, well, well I. Uh, Here's an example of this. Before the plane arrived in Albuquerque, John, it's been a long time since I've taken the trip, and so John rediscovered uh, escalators. And I rode up and down with him a few times, and then we, we rode on opposite escalators and waved to each other. Eyes, I was going up, his is going down, you see. We did that several times, and then I said I was sure that I needed to go talk to Mommy, <laughs> you know. I needed to say goodbye to Mommy. <laughs> Uh, so I left the uh, scene of the escalator, but he had discovered something new, and he came over and excitedly told us about it. He discovered that you could ride partway down on the escalator, turn around, and run up. And he said to us, try it. I think you'll like it. <laughs> but my heart was not in it. <laughs> nor were my legs. <laughs> so this is the first quality of the mind, the natural quality of the mind. Your mind can be, as we've said before, like a gentle breeze that passes over everything. You can walk gently as if on water. I think this is the true meaning of that expression. To walk gently. I think that is the true meaning of the various statements in the New Testament about turning the other cheek, giving the person uh, your coat as well as your shirt, walking the extra mile, and so forth. And that is, is simply easier. I saw that it would simply be easier to, to not make an issue out of the smoking. Issues are like leeches. They suck. They suck our happiness. They suck our blood. They suck our peace. We can either be issue-oriented or we can be peace-oriented. We can either be issue-oriented or we can be people-oriented. We cannot be both issue-oriented and people-oriented. And there are many issues there 
Was it the computer's fault? Maybe they shouldn't have. They shouldn't use computers. Did they not put the sign on the right chair? Maybe I was, maybe he thought he was in the smoking section and on and on and on. There were so many issues. But we do have this capacity, this strength. Everyone has it. You can be happy if you've a mind to. And I, you know, you know, I've heard, you've heard me quote that line from Roger Miller's song so many times that you can't roller skate in a buffalo herd, but you can be happy if you've a mind to. It is that simple. We have that strength. We do not have to get caught up. And then, of course, I must give uh, William Shakespeare his due. I mean, when you quote, quote Roger Miller, you've got to quote, quote William Shakespeare. So we have Hamlet saying, nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. So that's the first state we've talked about. The second one is the capacity of the mind to focus. The mind is naturally focused. Jesus put it this way. If your body, if, if your eye be single, your entire body will be filled with light. And so it is natural for the mind to be single-minded. And I told you about my friend who went to Japan and took him many days to seek out this uh, Zen master who was very inaccessible and couldn't speak English and anything else, and he had his guide with him and finally found him. And uh, turns out that his guide couldn't translate for him, and uh, but the but that the Zen master knew one or two or three words of uh, of English, and finally got across his question: What is your teaching? Not two minds, not two minds. <laughs> well, anyway, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Single mind. <laughs> and so that's why we talk so much about children here. Because of their natural ability to focus, to have a single purpose. And we see it in the case of very small children, and that everything is to enjoy. Everything is to have fun with. And then the third quality that we have talked about and will be on your test uh, is that it is the nature of the mind that thoughts, once thought, do not leave it, that thoughts are circular. So thoughts do not leave their source. Therefore, it is impossible for us to attack or to criticize or to judge. And the judgment not remain there and fester because we still believe it. Now, if we see we do not believe it, then we see it is not our thought. And, indeed, that thought leaves the mind. But it does not leave the, the mind as long as it is believed, as that passage from the Course pointed out that we began the service with. And so the act of forgiveness... can seem like walking a tightrope until you look very carefully at what you're doing. How do you forgive? How do you let go of this grievance, this grudge? 
this thing that this person did. Or this thing that this person did to your friend or to your child or to your parents. So often we can get very, very disturbed over what someone does to someone else. Whereas we don't think we get as disturbed when they do it to us. But they did it to my child. You can't say that about my mother. <laughs> and we even hear uh, children having uh, arguments about uh, whose dad is the biggest and whose dad can beat up other dads. I've tried to uh, stop that one, you know, <laughs> John. This can get you in a lot of trouble. <laughs> uh, so is there anything unforgivable? Yes, if you use the root meaning of that word, which is to let go, to not harbor, to forgive, to let go, to not harbor, to not hold on, to simply let it go. That's the root meaning of the word to forgive. Then you see that there are two things before you, whereas before there seemed to be only one. Before it appeared that your task was to be dishonest. This person did something that was clearly wrong or insensitive or selfish or cruel or careless. And your task was to somehow convince yourself that it was all right, that they didn't mean it, that they're really a good person anyway. And of course, that's impossible. And it's an exercise in dishonesty. So if you would like, you can look at the behavior and say it is unforgivable because that is not where your work lies. Don't try to tell yourself that they didn't mean it because they very well may have meant it. They may very well have meant to be dishonest or cruel or to hurt. They may have been insensitive. Your work is to see that there is something else there. So before we began this church, and as you, many of you know, this church itself was an outgrowth of this work, Gail and I uh, did a lot of work uh, in crisis, uh, on the crisis intervention line, as well as uh, other forms of crisis. We held groups, people in grief, rape victims, battered women, mugging victims, so forth, as well as many other people with milder problems, such as being suicidal. <laughs> um, and also, uh, in the little bit of work that I've done out of the penitentiary and, and the little bit of work that I've done with people who are the perpetrators, use a Good old term, <laughs> good old police term. That's the perpetrator there. Uh, <laughs> and so I have had to work with child molesters, child rapers, batterers, as well as the battered and the raped. Men being raped as well as women, of course, penitentiaries. Is there anything there? Is there anything else there in the arsonist who simply burns the place down 
because he likes to hear the screams of the people. He thinks. Or the murderer who simply murders because he likes to murder, he thinks. Or the rapist who thinks that he likes to rape and so forth. Is there anything else there? Indeed, there is. Indeed, there is. And you know that there is. And there isn't anyone, as I've said before, who cannot look in his heart under the right circumstances, at the right moment, look in his heart and see that he does not wish to be this way, that he wants to be a good person, that he does not want to hurt. There isn't anyone who will not cry when seeing the loveliness in his own heart no matter how layered over, no matter how many and how heinous the crimes. And if that is true of these extreme cases, it is, of course, true of the person who gossips in the office, and you're the target of it, the, per per the person who drives dangerously, and you're the victim of it, the person who legislates dishonestly, and you live in the town that suffers from it, if it can be true of the extremes, of course it is true of anyone, anywhere, and it is a fact. There is something else there. And so our work is to see the something else. Seeing the something else, we will no longer believe or hold the other image against the person. It isn't that we don't believe they did it, it isn't that we don't believe that they even thought they liked doing it. Or whatever else we think we know, because of course we do not really know why the person did it. But we know why we have done things. And so we can attribute certain motives to this. But seeing the something else, we now have a choice. Because the person cannot be both kind and selfish, both cruel and gentle, in the same place and at the same time. That cannot be true of one thing. And so first of all, we see that there are two things. And seeing that there are two things, there is one that calls to our heart. There is one that we know to be real. And this can be very confusing because someone cannot, may not be beyond these kinds of acts. The little petty ones or the seemingly greater ones. The individual may not be beyond this and seeing the light, we may do foolish things like trust them not to steal or not to do this or not to do that. And of course, they may very well do it because they have, maybe they have seen the light for a second, but then their vision turned away. So this implies nothing. It does not imply that you set people loose on the streets. It doesn't imply anything, except that there are two things there, and one is deeper, more basic than the other. And when we see that, and it often takes a great deal of work to see it, we truly forgive because we let the other go. 
We do not harbor it. We do not hold it against the person. And we stop betraying this child of God by saying this is their identity because we see now that this other is in fact deeper. It is at their roots. It is at their core. And it is a vision of their future. This is what this person will eventually become. Maybe not in this lifetime, but eventually they will become. And there is no doubt about that. Just as you have come so far, and I have come so far, they will come that far. There is no question about it. Therefore, when you sit down to do your forgiveness work, your letting go work, and you realize that there is a battle going on, that this is difficult, you can be fairly certain that you're trying to forgive the wrong thing. You're trying to work in the wrong place. Do not try to forgive the behavior. Simply see what else is there and let go of the behavior. It is of no use to you now. You have seen something else of more value. For how can you help another person with your mind and your heart or with your actions if all you see is the darkness? Of what use is that to them? And the interesting repercussion is that as long as you see darkness in another person, you have stopped cold. You are making no progress. And every time you remember that grievance, you stop cold, you make no progress. And if you become angry, you can even begin to walk backwards. So what will you look at? You do not want to be dishonest. You do not want to foist some sort of personality onto the person. You do not want to reconcile the child of God and the ego. So it's not that you look at this person and somehow try to get the picture to all come together. And so instead of being dark, it's just sort of light gray or something. That's not it. Leave the darkness in place. Do not kid yourself about it. Indeed, it is there. The person's ego is a murderer, just as yours and mine is. And so we leave that in place. But we do not try to foist an unreal personality onto this person. I'll give you an example of foisting. Do you remember how I told you that I was myopic? didn't have to worry about, you know, I could only see the first few people and so forth. Well, I finally, <laughs> I finally went to uh, who uh, a friend of mine uh, calls uh, that cute Dr. Bell. I, I've, that's the only way I've ever heard this particular friend who recommended Dr. Bell refer to Dr. Bell. That cute Dr. Bell, I, I expected to see TDD Bell on this thing, you know. And so I went to see, uh, it was not Gail who referred to him that way, but Gail had been to that cute Dr. Bell. 
And uh, he had told Gail that she had the best vision of any person he'd ever tested in his life. It was way beyond 2020. Now, that's what I've been living with, people. You think you've suffered? <laughs> so I went in, thinking that I was just about blind. <laughs> they tested my eyes. He came in. He said, uh, you, you're... Your vision is just fine. What, why are you in here? He said, I could be improved a little bit, but uh, he said, if you put glasses on, uh, all you're going to do is you're going to increase your far vision and you're going to cut down on your near vision. And I don't see that there's a whole lot of point in that. And I was just flabbergasted. Couldn't believe this. I was a blind bat. I knew this. I'd been hearing this for 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> And Gail had proved it to me. She could read things much better than I could. <laughs> Can't you read that blimp 300 miles off? <laughs> I said, she's not going to believe this. I said, Dr. Bell, you've got to call a Gail in the office and tell her this because I'll tell her and she's not going to believe it. And she didn't. <laughs> she made not. He took her quite a while to uh, convince her of this old fact. But he is blind, I tell you, he's blind. <laughs> That's the case of foisting. <laughs> so now I can see you back there. <laughs> Now, uh, we're still reviewing now, people. Uh, I said that there were ten qualities of, uh, oh, <laughs> just the cough, isn't it? No, I've just been away from the parents' room. Oh, the parents' room. All right. Okay. <laughs> no offense meant that. So this is still in line with our view. So you don't have to listen, Lisa. You already know this. But we talked also about uh, disciplining the mind. Uh, this is part of the ability of the mind to focus. And I just had a couple of things I wanted to uh, say about that before we go on to uh, number four. <laughs> this may last until the end of the year, people, if there are, t if there are, if there are ten of these things here. I've already shortened them to seven in the book that I'm writing. <laughs> uh, it's just amazing what you can do with numbers. Yeah. Um, so in your spiritual practices, it is very important to understand that there is no good or bad spiritual practice. And you will read books and you will hear speakers who will tell you about certain spiritual practices and they are very good practices and they may have been of immense help to this particular person but you do not want to hear something that the speaker may not be saying which is that it is necessarily a good practice for you so I can talk to you with certainty about the direction in which you are heading I can talk to you with certainty that you will reach there but I cannot tell you whether it's better to skip or roll or go on your knees or jog or swim. Who knows? 
or go like this, as John does when he walks on gravel in his bare feet. <laughs> this you must see for yourself, and it may change from time to time. So we've talked about many spiritual practices, and one of the ones that I re mentioned recently, and one of the ones that have, is, of course, extremely dangerous uh, in the sense that there can be a very immediate uh, tone of sacrifice that develops, tedium and drudgery, is this business of stilling the mind. So let me add this. You will never eliminate all thinking. You may think you have eliminated all thinking. <laughs> and that should tell you right there that you haven't. <laughs> because notice there are still the impressions. There are still the judgments. There are still the reactions, the habits. There is still what is called the unconscious. And it's on the surface there. So you can indeed quieten the mind, and you can have periods in which your more conscious thoughts seem to be absent. But you must not think that it is possible for you to completely eliminate all thinking, or else you will be in a hopeless battle with your own mind. And so, do you want to do this practice? Do you wish to still your mind? The answer is, if it makes you happy to do so. And if you can do it happily, then you do the practice. It's true of that and true of every other practice that we've mentioned here. The practice of bracketing, the practice of breaking with the situation, the practice of a, uh, of a major uh, break with the day in which you begin the day over, and a hundred others that we have talked about here. You must look at it and see, does this add a sense of burden to your life or does it make you happier to do this? The answer may be that it's fine uh, for a while and not forever, that it's not good now, but later it's very helpful. And you, you have to just look at this. The Course speaks of real thoughts. And A Course in Miracles advises you to ask for your real thoughts. Now, as many of you know, in many of the Eastern teachings, the word mind and the word thinking are used for ego and ego involvement. And so you are advised to have no thoughts and to have no mind. And so what then are your real thoughts? Now, this is just a difference in the use of words. So it's not necessary to be confused by what the Course is saying. But this is another spiritual practice, and you might try it, to ask for your real thoughts. So you don't like the way you're thinking about something. It is not making you happy. Do not be afraid to ask for help. You're standing there, and someone is gossiping, or they're trying to get you to take sides against someone else, and you do not know what to do. Don't be afraid to ask for help. If you can't think of anything else... You can remember, help. It's very simple. I remember uh, when I first met Jerry Jampolsky, we were driving someplace uh, and we got lost, and he kept saying, help. <laughs> I didn't, I thought he was just a strange man. I, he's, <laughs> uh, later I found out that he was simply turning to God <laughs> just his way of doing it. 
And that's always a possibility. And asking for your real thoughts is another way of practicing the same thing. You simply turn to your teacher or your deeper self or anything else that you want to call it, and you say, what are my real thoughts? How do I really feel about this? And you will feel a softening. You will feel a love. You will feel a gentleness come into your mind. And it may be accompanied with actual words. The difference is that it is not words. It is not just form. It is not just words as it is with the ego. There will be the love and the peace. Although it may not, it may not be great love or great peace, but there will be a gentleness and relaxation in your mind. After you have said, what are my real thoughts? Please give me my real thoughts. Or judge this for me, as another way A Course in Miracles put it, puts it. You can't judge it. You don't know. It's so wonderful to understand that we don't know. I find myself saying that more and more often because it's true. And that's one of the things that I've known, noticed about my own thinking. I, I was in some office recently waiting some I can't even remember where I was but I remember that I was thinking and I started watching my thoughts and I realized I didn't even believe what I was thinking I didn't even believe this and that's why the thoughts can leave so easily now new material now you can sit up get out your notepad we're going on to number four Hugh is taking off his watch. He's getting serious. It's 11.29. Now, a happy person is certain. Did you know that David, uh, David Poole and uh, Carol Scullin used to be partners in a landscaping adventure? And uh, we had them come out, and they they looked at our our yard. I think they felt that it was hopeless. Nothing, as I can recall, happened. Uh, or the venture ended shortly after that. But as I recall, David was looking at a little uh, garden when the term came to him, Pip Awa. Do any of you remember Pip Awa? Pause in peace and act with assurance. So this is, of course, one of the things that certainty means. It means going ahead and being a saint. Going ahead and living as if you were further along. Even going ahead and living as if you had arrived. Going ahead and living as if you were here on this earth to represent Christ and nothing else. It is all right to do that, provided there is no arrogance, that it is simply a spiritual practice, and it makes you happy to do so. So often we think we have to see our way through. We have to have the belief and the faith and the understanding before we take the step. And, of course, it works just the other way around. You must first take the step before you will have the experience. And that's why A Course in Miracles in the beginning of the workbook tells you that you don't have to believe anything in these lessons. You can disagree with it. All you have to do is do it 
Why? Because it will give you an experience and then the words will not be hollow. So you have a choice. You can either profess to believe it or profess not to believe it. But until you've had the experience, it makes no difference which stand you have taken. That's why all this talk about atheism is ridiculous. Once you've had the experience, then you know there is something, although you may not prefer to call it God or truth. But you know there's something. And it's silly to argue about it. You will not argue about it. In fact, you will not even try to convince anyone else of it once you have begun to see it. There will be no need to convince anyone of it. It is simply there. It is simply a fact. And so you would not argue with an insane person who tells you that it's really nighttime when you can see the sun shining above you. What is the point of arguing? And so it's that kind of certainty, the certainty that avoids arguments, the certainty that walks around useless battles. And you simply assume a position that you have not reached, and you will reach it more quickly. That is, if you enjoy that particular spiritual practice. Now, there's another way in which the concept of certainty can be very useful. If you were to start out from here and try to walk to the Safeway, you would be traveling more or less familiar ground. And as you approached Safeway, there would be certain trees and corners and buildings and so forth you would pass. And you would have a sense of movement. You would be taking a journey in a sense. But as you went along, you would have a sense of how much further you had to go and how much progress you were making and where you were along the way. There is a map in the manual of A Course in Miracles that will tell you where you are, but a lot of people have difficulty reading the map. And it isn't necessary to read the map. It is simply there so that if you would like to know how far along you are, you can read it, and it will tell you that. I'm not going to tell you where it is, but if you will start reading the manual, you will come across it very shortly. <laughs> now, a spiritual journey, however, does not operate the same way. We know that peace is our goal and we know that peace is our way. But it can be very confusing when we have a peaceful day or a peaceful moment, but especially if we have a, a, a very deep experience of peace because now we think we have something to compare it to. This is how it works. The world makes it difficult for you to be peaceful because you believe in the world. We all believe in the world or we wouldn't be here. Therefore, there will be days, no matter how much you've simplified your life, there will be days that will be very difficult for you. They may not be difficult for someone else, those same circumstances, but, but I can assure you that other circumstances would make it difficult for that person. On the day in which it is very difficult, it is quite likely you will not reach the same degree of peace that you reached on another day. This is not the same 
kind of sense of journey, of landmarks passing, do you see? The ego can step in and tell you you're not making progress because you have not reached the state of peace that you reached, say, in your meditation this morning or a month ago or something like that. But if you are merely making the effort to be gentle or kind or happy, you are making progress because it has nothing to do with comparisons, whereas a journey from one spot to another spot on this earth has everything to do with comparisons. So don't be confused about this. So here's where your certainty comes in. You must be certain that you are doing the best you can in the present. You've heard me say many times, we all do the best we can. And that pertains to the past. Everyone did the best they could, just as you did when you were seven years old or 11 or 16. You can look back now and see you did the best. Haven't you forgiven yourself about what you did when you were one years old or three? Of course you have. You know you did the best you could. And it's like, it's, it's true also, you did the best you could yesterday. Even though you are dwelling on it and telling yourself you didn't. The fact is, you did. You did the best you could, given your state of learning, given the part of the ego that still remains, you did the best you could. You may not have been as far along as you thought you were, and what you did may surprise you, but still, the facts are, you did the best you could. But that is not true in the present. There's all the difference between reality and unreality, between the present and the past. The present is entirely different. It's a different kettle of fish, I started to say, but I couldn't, you know, that, where do you run with that? Um, <laughs> in the present, you can ask yourself, am I doing the best I can? And very often, you'll see you can do a little bit better. So you find yourself angry. Don't try to eliminate all the anger. Simply say to yourself, can I be a little less angry? So you find yourself being quite judgmental about something that's happened or about something you yourself did. Simply ask yourself, is there a way I can be a little less judgmental now? And one of these spiritual practices may come to your mind or you may say, help, and some idea may come to you how you can be a little less judgmental. You may not eliminate all the judgmentalness. What you want to avoid is this discouragement, this sense of giving up, casting it all away. Because then you either stop or you go backwards. And it is never necessary. If you realize that your journey and the progress that you make comes merely from your attempt and not how you think that attempt compares to other attempts, then you will develop this new sense of certainty. I am certain I'm doing the best I can. This is a very difficult situation for my ego. The situation's not difficult. The situation is difficult for your ego. So there are no peaceful situations. There are no easy or hard situations. 
It is never true that it is difficult to be around a certain person. It is never true that a certain place is not peaceful. It is not true that television is not peaceful. It is true that it is not peaceful for you, perhaps. And that's all you can say. At this time, it is not peaceful for me to be around this person. But if there's any criticism about the person when you say that, you are not seeing anything. You are still totally blind. And so you can say, because you know yourself quite well, this is a difficult situation for me. Or this day is a difficult day. Such and such has happened and this has happened. Or this thing is coming up and I'm very stirred up about it. See, you expect very little of yourself. But then you say, but am I doing the best I can under the circumstances? And very often you'll see that there is this one or two things that you can do. Or you will see, no, you're doing everything you can. Now you must allow yourself to see that. No, given the fact that I'm here at this party and there's this conversation and there is this plate of hors d'oeuvres and my digital watch says that it is this time and it's therefore so many hours before I get to leave this place because I don't have a ride and I've got to go with so-and-so. I think I'm doing the best I can but you'll have a sense of certainty about it. It's like, a, it's like reaching into your pocket. and you know how people finger their change in their pockets? Finger their change? There's a sense of security. Aha, you know, a bus token or a phone call. I can always do that. Well, I don't know what goes on, but they finger their change. That's what you're doing. You have got certainty. It is a fact. It's like a little gold nugget. It's in your little basket that you carry around with you. So take it out and finger it. Roll it madly between your fingers. The certainty. Am I certain I'm doing the best I can? I'm not doing as well as I have done, that's for sure. But am I doing the best I can? Well, I'll try this other, and then you try it, and you say, now I think I'm doing the best I can. Now when you can say that, you may be making extremely rapid progress. Because the interesting thing about our journey is the potential for progress is far greater when the situation is difficult than it is when the situation is easy. That does not mean that you put yourself in difficult situations. (laughs) Because you usually will not, you usually will get caught up in your ego under difficult circumstances. And that's why you don't want to do that. It doesn't usually work that way, and so it is always best to avoid a battle, to avoid difficult situations, to avoid stimuli that stir you up of any kind, whether it's certain foods or certain clothes or certain stores or certain anything. It's always best to avoid those battles. You will make much more rapid progress. But if you find that you are in a situation and it cannot be avoided, You see that it's better to go ahead and fill out the income tax form than it is not to. You're going to be more peaceful. And you hate filling out income tax forms. But you see that you must. The potential is there to make far more progress 
because it's difficult. And the, and the example I've given before is like those little squiggly lines on a map that show great distance. And you know, have a, you have a straight line, and then you have a squiggly thing. It means that that's what you're walking on. You're walking on a squiggly line, but with the same stride. You have the same stride. And so you're covering great distance, although your sense of it is that you're standing almost still because there are not these landmarks going by you. And beautiful Safeway is not rising up before you in all of its splendor. I own no stock in Safeway. Oh, no, it's not. Let's see. <laughs> All right, I think uh, I think we're through.